Thank you, Will. It was me. All right. So good to see everybody, man. Thank you for all for joining us online. We've got a bunch of people tuning in today. We're so glad to have you joining us. Thank you, Pastor Allen, for letting me have this opportunity to share in week three of our Tough Sayings of Jesus series. You know, we told y'all at the beginning this was going to be tough. We told y'all in week one, we talked about a story where Jesus told his disciples and told the, the, all the disciples around him that you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to be a disciple. And the people thought that was so tough that they left and scattered. They, they said, I don't want any part of this. So with that, and that's Jesus' sales pitch for his own ministry. All right, so the tough sayings only get tougher as, as we keep going. We've talked in our home groups about taking laws like murder and adultery and saying, I'm not, I'm not worried about just the point of you saying that, that physically I haven't committed murder. I want you to start thinking about in your heart, I want you to make sure you're not tearing down your brothers with your words. I want to make sure you're not spewing hate to your brothers to tear apart the, the kingdom of God, to tear apart your fellow brother. I want to make sure that you don't just protect the sanctity of your marriage uh, physically. I want to make sure you protect the sanctity of your marriage in your heart and in your mind so that you're not even thinking about anything. It's not about what we can prove. It's about the God that knows our hearts that can show us what our hearts are really thinking. And that was tough for the people to hear. And last Sunday, Pastor Allen talked about hating our father and mother for the sake of the kingdom, of thinking of Jesus as more worthy than even our own parents for our own sake so that we could know who God is, and then we could experience him in the fullness of his glory. And then in our home groups this past week, we talked about Jesus not bringing peace, but bringing a sword to, to divide brother against brother and divide father against child, not only for our sake, but doing this in our families to show that Jesus is more important than any other relationship so that our families can see Christ through us as well. So for those of you that are not plugged in one of our groups, man, I cannot encourage you enough to join one of them. It's not just for this series here. There's some cool stuff that you're missing if you're not in there. But the biggest thing you're missing if you're not in one of our groups is the community and the fellowship of other people that are in those groups. If You, you can come in here every Sunday morning and sit in a, in a chair and, and, and everything seems good. But after a while, you kind of start feeling like, man, I don't even know what I'm belonging to, what I'm doing here. Getting in those groups is the way you can start to piece that together and say, man, I am a part of Lindsay Lane North. Here are my people at Lindsay Lane North. These are the people that I connect with as brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you're not a part of one of those, man, I encourage you, get plugged into one of those, and you'll thank me for it later, I'm telling you. Uh, so as we get started today, we're going to talk about another truth that is difficult. We've talked about truths that are tough socially. We've talked about truths that are tough relationally. Today we're going to talk about this truth that is tough personally. We're going to talk about the idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that is very, very personal. The saying comes out of Matthew 18, chapters 21 and 22. I'll go ahead and read it for us. It says, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will I forgive my brother's sin against me? As many as seven times? And Jesus said, I don't say seven times. I say 77 times. Some of your translations may say seven times 70 times. Jesus puts this out here to him. He says, when we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about a check-the-box kind of thing. So when we, talk, when, when we think about forgiveness, um, the things that come to my mind are typically, in my prayer time, there will be a time when, we, when I confess my sins, when I confess to God the things that I've done that I know are against his heart or against his commands, and I'll ask for forgiveness for those. Um, sometimes in our prayer lives that kind of gets boiled down into a nice little boilerplate statement like, Lord, forgive me for all of my sins. Like, I, I don't know all of them. I don't really care to talk about them. Just forgive them all, please. 
Uh, Lord, forgive us for where we fail you. That's one, of the, that's one of those good Baptist church words, right? Forgive us where we fail you. That's one word. It's, it's, uh, it's right in the dictionary behind guard, God, and direct us. That's also one word. Uh, if y'all been in churches for a while, you've heard prayers that sound like that. Um, we pray prayers like that too. Lord, forgive me where we've done wrong. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. I want to I ask a couple of challenging questions. One is how often do we thank God for that forgiveness? All right. How often do we actually thank him for something that he doesn't owe us? All right, because that forgiveness is something he doesn't owe us, and we're going to discover that as we dive into this passage. And two, how often are we receptive to all the people that come to us with the forgive me, forgive me, forgive me stuff that they bring to us? Right? Forgiveness seems to be something that becomes for me. Forgiveness is great for me. Whenever somebody that has sinned against me, however, now there comes a problem in my heart that I don't know if I'm ready to let that go. All right, so let's dive into what the rest of these passages uh, say in our, in our scripture today. So in your bulletin, you've got three points. The first one, Jesus, Jesus is going to take us on a path here, and we talk, we're going to talk about the forgiveness. All right, Jesus is going to follow up this tough saying with a parable. A uh, parable, just a story to illustrate a point. So the first point we're going to see is the forgiveness that's offered through God. So in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 27, we see, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. I'm going to stop right there. 10,000 talents, that doesn't mean anything to us today. Uh, most of the scholars seem to think that, that, that they, there's a lot of debate on what it was worth. Uh, one, one scholar that I read said somewhere around 3,700 tons of silver. So 10,000 talents would be 3,700 tons of silver. I did do the math on that. Silver, as of Friday, was at $23 an ounce times 16 ounces to make a pound times 3,700 tons times 2,000 pounds in a ton. And that number came out to $2.7 billion. All right. So now, clearly, I think what's going on here is Jesus is making a very exaggerated point. I don't think the king, you know, I don't think there's any wise king that would run up a, an account with one of his own servants for $2.7 billion uh, or whatever that number would be. The idea is to say that this man owed a debt that he would never feasibly repay. There was no expectation that this guy would ever be able to actually pay this back. All right, so as we continue reading, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all he had and the payment to be made. So he just wants to get him off of his payroll, go work for somebody else. I'm going to get some money in the initial transaction when I sell you off. And then I'm going to continue to get every dime that he pays you instead of working for every dime that I'm paying you. So instead of getting my own money back, I want to get somebody else's money so I can actually get some of this money back. Um, Jesus goes on and tells the servant, falls on his knees and implores the master, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. You imagine... In times in our life, whenever we just, you know, sometimes we do things that we just have to do with money. Sometimes, you know, we, we don't have the money to do something, but we've just got to do it. It may be a medical situation. It may be a house situation. Sometimes we get ourselves into financial holes because it's something that we just have to do. And we know in our hearts, our intention is to say, I'm going to make this right one day. I'm going to fix this. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make it right. That's what this servant does. He comes and he says, Master, I promise you, just give me some time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way to make this right. Verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. It's in your notes, 
This man came asking for forbearance. This man came asking for more time. The king didn't give him more time. The king gave him forgiveness. The king gave him what he really needed, which was the forgiveness of this debt. You see, the king had a choice to make. He had to decide whether he wanted to continue living as if this money was his. He had to continue to live with the idea. Now, this is a reasonable expectation, by the way. The way the story is painted, the king reasonably expected, had a legitimate claim to this money. But he had to decide if he wanted to continue to live with the idea that he was going to get this back one day, or if he wanted to go ahead and acknowledge the fact that this was a debt that could not be repaid. There's nothing that this man can do to make it right, so I'm just going to go ahead and forgive this. You know, I, I work in supply chain, and, and just for those of you that don't, supply chain kind of boils down to we pay cash for parts. Parts get shipped to us. We put them on the shelf. We ship those parts out. We sell those parts for cash, and we put that cash back in the pocket. That's kind of how the supply chain works. We buy stuff. We get stuff. We sell stuff. We get money for that, and it turns into a cycle. For those of you accounting majors in here, whenever we put that money to a vendor to bring us parts, we also put in our accounting ledger something called accounts receivable. And if any of you are in billing or medical fields or any kind of field that deals with customer balances, you have that thing called accounts receivable where I don't have the cash on hand in my assets, but I have an expectation of an asset to come. All right? And that works fine and dandy. I have this account receivable. The part ships. I move this value out of accounts receivable into assets on hand. That works great. Except when somebody doesn't pay. Works great except whenever I've got a part that's ordered and the vendor says I've sent it. Here's the shipping proof that says I sent it. And it's six months after that date and we have no idea where the part is. Well, now this account's receivable. is It's still something that I validly should have, but it's no longer reasonable for me to expect that that's going to come in. So we do something called a write-off, all right? Have you ever dealt with write-offs? Write-offs are not fun. Write-offs are when I say, I should have this, but I don't have it. So now, when I say my assets, my accounts receivable are less, now I also say on this side over here on the ledger, now my company is worth less for no good reason. And you know what happens when we do write-offs? We do investigations. Some of them are formal. Some of them are informal. But the whole idea of the investigation is to say, how did this happen? Was it somebody's fault? Was it the fault of a process? Was it the fault of invalid, inadequate anything? And what can I do to make sure this never happens again? Because this side over here where my company is worth less is not acceptable. So we cannot let that happen again. Forgiveness is the same picture to where we have an account balance. In this case, it's money. In our case with God, it's our, it's our sin debt. Our sin debt is, is the picture that Jesus is painting with this whole, whole idea of forgiveness. The God, our master, has this balance of sin in our lives. We have accrued this balance. He has a reasonable expectation that that balance will be paid. And the Bible says that the payment for that, the wages for that, is death. That's, that's the payment for the sin in our life. That's the only way to get rid of that. It's the only way to settle that account. But instead of settling the account, God is willing to do a write-off of sorts. God makes that payment on our behalf. Just like this king is willing to settle that account and say, I'm not going to take this from you. I'm going to say that everything's okay so that 
I can go on with my life so that you can go on with your life so that you can be a productive member of my team now and so that I can go on living in reality of saying that this is not going to happen. You see, it releases burdens on both sides. Forgiveness releases the forgiver and the forgiven. It's not just one that benefits from it. So we see what happens in the forgiveness. The next thing we're going to see as Jesus carries on with this parable is there's some unforgiveness that happens. Continue down in verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. You can call him a teammate. One of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And most folks will say that that's probably a denarii is about a day's wages. So you can say he owed him several thousand dollars. He owed him several thousand dollars, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Does that sound familiar? I think, if we go back up to verse 26, this is exactly what this man said to the king. The servant fell on his knees to the king, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. It's the exact same statement. Verse 30, this man refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So this servant also has a very reasonable expectation that he's going to be repaid, the several thousand dollars. This servant actually, on the other hand, has a reasonable expectation that this is possible. When we're talking about this kind of money, this is something that somebody can figure out how to work off. But this servant makes a different choice. He has a right to the money, and he decides that he's going to exercise that right. You see, in your notes, forgiveness is not about responding reasonably. It's about responding redemptively. See, it's reasonable for this man to demand this money. It's reasonable for this man to expect to be paid back. But that does nothing for the relationship. His relationship with his coworker will be over the day that that debt is repaid. That'll be the end of that re- end of that relationship. And again, don't forget in this passage Jesus is talking to his disciples. He is talking to those who are closest to him. You know, we we talked in our home groups this past week. Jesus talks to four different groups of people. Sometimes he talks to the general public and he says general things to the general public. Sometimes he talks to the churchy people, we call them Pharisees. These are people that think they've got it figured out, but they do not apply the law correctly. And God pricks their hearts at very specific points to make very specific cutting truths apparent to their lives to convict them of their sin and show them where they are missing the mark. God also talks to people that are completely lost and he speaks to them with loving, gentle kindness. And then the fourth group he talks to are his disciples, his inner core. Those of you that, that, that work or have families, sometimes you have closed-door meetings or you have staff meetings. You have just general groups gathered that are, that are very specific in nature for what the meeting is about. Um, and this is, this is what Jesus' meeting with the disciples was. This is where Jesus would tell them, hey, here, here's the nuts and bolts of what this discipleship stuff means. Hey, I'm not telling everybody else this, but I'm telling y'all, this is going to be tough, and this is what this is like. You know, he, he's talked about leading up to this point uh, in, in the, earlier in the chapter. He, he shares the parable of the, of the lost sheep where a, a, a farmer is willing to leave 99 safe and secure sheep and go and do whatever it takes to rescue one lost sheep. He talks about Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. 
he shares with us the idea. We call it church discipline, the church discipline strategy. He says, if somebody sins against you, one of your brothers, somebody in the church body sins against you, first off, you go to them and you confront them directly. And you say, look, you've, you've done me wrong. I, make, I, w- I want you to make this right. Here's how we can do it. If that doesn't work, second thing I want you to do is to bring a couple of witnesses with you and then talk to this person. And if that doesn't work, then you bring it before the whole church body and say, look, you have done wrong. I want you to make restoration. I want you to repent and make this right. And if that doesn't work, then you treat that person as an outsider. Now, I, I would like for this to not be just considered church discipline strategy. This is personal forgiveness strategy. When we have things that go on between us as believers in Christ, this is the model that's given to us for us to go and confront the person, for us to go with friends and confront the person. What I want us to understand in that, man, don't miss. Don't think when he says to treat the person as an outsider, that that doesn't mean to cast the person into utter darkness. No. The Bible gives us very specific ways that we're supposed to go out and try to reach outsiders in their, in their, in their sin. When someone outside of our body has, has sinned against us, he gives us ways to go out and try to reach them too. So when we, when we get to that third step of if they still don't repent, you treat them as an outsider, that means that you go with them with an, a more unreasonable amount of grace and a more unreasonable amount of forgiveness to show them who this God is that they seem to not be getting, okay? That no, at no point in the, in the scripture, in the narrative, are we to ever treat anybody as if they don't exist. The goal is always for us to bring that person back to repentance into a relationship with us so that we can be united as the body of Christ and to be in a relationship with God in right standing so that they can glorify him in all that they do once again. That's what God has told us to do. That's the command that he's given us. This servant in this passage doesn't do that. This servant chooses, even though he has received a great amount of forgiveness from his master, he decides that he is not going to be a throughput of that forgiveness. He decides he's going to act differently. I don't want you to think that this is an exact, exactly the same choice. This is not exactly the same choice. The king forgave a debt that he knew could never be repaid. This man withheld forgiveness on something that was a tiny fraction of 1% of the amount of forgiveness he had been shown. You see, that's how it is in our lives when we withhold forgiveness from someone else. When someone does us wrong, that is nowhere... And I'm not going to trivialize anything wrong that people do to us. Sometimes those things hurt. Sometimes those things just destroy our confidence. They destroy our, our emotions. But I'm telling you this. That amount of forgiveness that we owe those people, whether it's things they've said, things they've done things they've talked about behind our back, things that they've tangibly owe us, nowhere near the amount of debt that we owe to God our Father who forgave us on the cross in Jesus Christ. And that's the point that this man missed. So we see forgiveness, we see unforgiveness, and then Jesus wraps this story up and talks about the fallout. That's point number three, verses verses 31 through 35. When his fellow servants had saw what had taken place, they were all greatly distressed. Now keep in mind, this is one king, both of those servants worked for the same king. This is a culture that this king is trying to create in his kingdom. They were greatly distressed, and they went on and reported to their master all that had taken place. The master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, 
you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. We said these were tough sayings. This is a tough saying that Jesus gives to his 12 disciples to tell them how he expects them to go about life. See, this king really did. He wanted to create a culture of forgiveness in his kingdom. He expected that that culture would be duplicated. Somehow, this man missed being thankful for the forgiveness that he had been given, the forgiveness he had been shown. Somehow, he missed that. I think that's the case in our lives, too. I talked earlier. When I pray, I pray, Lord, forgive me for this. Lord, forgive me for that. It's very rare that I ever thank God for forgiving me. It's very rare that I ever take time to say, thank you, Lord, for bringing me back into a right relationship with you. And I think, I think that attitude is what, what keeps some of us from being able to so willingly forgive. We forget. We forget that we're, the same, we're in the same boat. We forget that we have that debt of forgiveness as well that we needed and we, 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 we think of this as if, as if it's about us. When clearly Jesus illustrates in this parable, it's not about us. We're not the end goal of God's forgiveness. The end goal of God's forgiveness is to bring him glory and to bring other people unto him through our testimony. Several other times in the Bible, uh, Jesus talks about the idea of us mimicking what he does or, uh, or displaying his image. In Philippians uh, Paul says to imitate Christ, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's, that's the model that we should do. We should be imitating Christ so closely that anybody around us should be able to see what it looks like to be a Christian. Uh, the Bible also says in 1 John 4, 19, that, that we should love as Christ has loved us. John 13, 35 says, they will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Time and time again, God tells us these things because he wants, we're not, we're not the end goal of his redemption. It's not about me. It is about me personally, and I do serve a personal God that wants a relationship with me, but God wants a personal relationship with you and 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 all of you watching online. God wants a relationship with each one of us. And part of the way he does salvation, part of the way he does sanctification is to use us as his image bearers in the world to bring people unto himself. And when we lose our thankfulness for that, we lose our ability to forgive. In your notes, our growth in forgiveness is dependent on our gratitude for forgiveness. You see, when we lose sight of what it is we've been given, we don't think of it as valuable enough to give. Forgiveness is a reflection of whose heart you serve. Are you serving your own heart or are you serving the heart of God? But more than that, the idea is for us, when we, when we say, when God says, I want you to forgive seven times, 70 times, he's not saying, you know, Jewish law said you need to forgive three times to make it right. You forgive once, you forgive twice, and if you forgive a third time, 
then clearly they're not really interested in repenting. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't treat us that way? Aren't you thankful that God doesn't give up on us after three times? Aren't you thankful that God doesn't look at us and say, you know what, I gave you the law, I told you what to do, I guess it's up to you, if you didn't do it, that's your own fault, sorry, I tried, spent 40 days with Moses up there on that mountain, is that good enough for you? Aren't you glad God doesn't do us that way? And shouldn't we in return respond with that same kind of patient, forbearing love that God has given us? You know, I, I was thinking back to, to, to a time, um, you know, sometimes we learn things from being around other people, right? When I was in college, I was, I was interning as, um, with, with our, my music minister at my church. And one day we were running some cable at church, and he said, hey, it's lunchtime, let's go to lunch. And so we went to the Roosters back when Florence still had a Roosters and walked in, and he says, hey, get whatever you want up there. I'm buying. I said, all right, sounds good. I had no idea what this meant. I had no idea. This is the first time anybody besides my parents or my grandparents or my uncles and aunts had ever tried to buy my lunch. So I decided to prove what kind of man I was. I said, I'll take 12 wings. Suicide. I like it hot. This guy looks at me and says, "Um, Jeremiah, if I'm buying this, you're eating it. Well, yeah. Yeah, you just enjoy your mild wings over there, bud. I'm fine. I got this. Have any of you ever been around somebody that orders food that is so hot that you can smell it? I started sweating before I took the first bite. Not because I was nervous, because the heat in those peppers was so hot. I was already wet before I took the first bite. But I did. I, I was a man of my word. I said I was going to eat them. First, one, first bite was rough. So were the next several. And every other bite until I got done with that. I think I went back for like three more pieces of toast and, and however much celery I could get to try to calm that down. Probably, probably four or five cups of ranch as well. And find, you know, after the fourth one, I had to go to the bathroom and actually take paper towels to wipe the ringing sweat off of my forehead. It was that bad. And finally, I'm watching him, and he is just, just tore up laughing so much that he, he can't finish his, you know, he gets nine wings in. He's like, man, I'm, I'm done. I can't, I can't watch this anymore. And I look down, I go, one, two, three, four. I've got nine done, too. I think I'm full, too. <laughs> and that was it. That was, that was a long day. It was a long night. I don't recommend that. But long story short, I've learned since then how to respond to somebody giving me a gift like that. And if any of y'all want to take me to lunch, I promise I won't do something that silly again. So, hey, it's all good. Um, I also remember being a part of, of a connect group at, at a church I was at a few years ago at Lindsay Lane, Maine. Uh, we, had, we had a family that was in the hospital with, the, with one of their family members. And they had, um, you know, it was, it was amazing to see how our group just loved on that family. We brought them gift cards. We brought them, you know, blankets and toys and things to make the hospital stay better. I think we had adult coloring books in there. Um, and, and we just kept on bringing them food, uh, just taking care of this family that was in a tough situation. Nothing that they deserved from us, but just ways that we took care of them. And it's modeled part of the way we try to take care of people here at Lindsay Lane North. Uh, it's a very big influence on that. Um, we see how people treat people. We see how good it feels to receive the good gifts that other people give. And it inspires us to give those things out. One last story over here from the Alan Ostrisky bag of object lessons. 
Any of y'all know this fella? Any of y'all have this fella sitting in your yard right now? This is the original Little Tykes A1 Cozy Coupe. This one's got a bunch of miles on it right now. Got some more miles to go. You hang in there, bud, all right? Molly will be here in a couple months. She's ready. The other day, I was out changing my, uh, my oil in my car, my wife's car, uh, about three weeks ago. And, you know, used to, I don't know how many of y'all have changed your oil in your car. Um, when I got my 1997 Ford Ranger, I pop it up on the wheel ramps, and I look up, and right here's the drain plug, and right here's the oil filter staring right at me. And all I got to do is take a wrench and undo that plug and let it drain, undo this filter and let it drain. Pop a new one on, bada bing, bada boom, close the hood, and let's crank it up. My wife's 2016 Expedition, however. You get under there, and here's this little felt panel that you've got to unsecure. You get that down, you got to prop it up, you got to prop it up with something, but it can't be the oil pan because it's going to prop it up kind of like this right here at an angle so that the oil is going to just splatter out of it when it gets in there. So you got to find something else, prop that down, the oil pan in there, undo the bolt, and then you get over here on the yonder side of the car for an access panel to the oil filter. Now there's a big plate up under there that says, do not remove to change the oil. I didn't believe that. I took that off, and I found out the reason that that is there is because it doesn't matter if you take it off or not. You still can't find the oil filter when you take that off. So you've got the little access panel here. You have to reach your hand up into a C-shape to reach the oil filter. You cannot see the oil filter from under that car, and you can barely see it from looking on top. Get my hand up in there, wriggling around. Now, as I'm doing this, A couple years ago, I invited my kids out to watch me do this, to teach them how to do it. Because what four-year-old boy doesn't want to learn how to change the oil in his dad's car? Mine. He was under there for about a minute, and it was fun, and then it was boring, real boring. So he ran along, and I didn't take too much offense to it. But this time when I got out there to change my oil, listen to this. Two minutes in, and I see this makeshift wooden ramp set up right beside my car, with old Smiley propped up right on top of it. And Daniel had gone to get his tools, just as I had gotten my tools, and he was getting ready to change the oil on old Smiley. Now, I thought, well, this is, this is kind of neat. My son is, is watching me, and he's mimicking my every move. And every time I would reach up and try this little C-shaped arm action to get a grip on this, and i go, ah! And all of a sudden, out of my left ear, I hear, ah. And then whenever my wrench would slip off, and I would go, doggone it. I hear, doggone it. And over here is Daniel worked on old Smiley. It's a good thing I didn't say anything worse than that, or he would have said that too. You know? My son watched me. My son knows, has his idea of how you're supposed to act when you change the oil on a car because he watches me do it. And y'all, our Father in Heaven has given us the commission to be the ones that people can look at and see Christ through us in the way we live our life. We're supposed to be the salt and light of the earth. We're the ones that bring others in to the kingdom because people see Christ through us. People see the way we act, and they think that's how the Father acts. So when people see us harboring grudges and bitterness, People go around thinking, well, man, maybe there's something I can do 
to satisfy this debt that God is that I have with God. Maybe there's something I can do. Maybe I can just keep doing enough good that God will finally think well enough of me to leave me alone. That's not how God works. That's not his idea at all. God's idea is a relationship through forgiveness. God's idea is for us to be a throughput of that forgiveness. You know, as Will comes up to, to lead our invitation, I want, you to, I want you to hear what God says to us in the Bible. Ephesians 4.32, God gives us this command. He says, children, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. So there's, there's a couple of groups of people in the room today. I want you to hear my heart. I'm not, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching with you. Yesterday I was up here preparing for this, and I had to hit my knees as I got to this point and immediately forgive in my heart three people that I've been holding a grudge against for a long time. I had to turn that over to God, and I had to say, God, this is not what you've called me to be. I am not to harbor this bitterness in my heart. Just as you have, you have forgiven me, it's on me to forgive them. And church, I'm going to challenge you all with the same thing. There's probably people and there's probably situations in your life right now that you're harboring bitterness over. That you're harboring unforgiveness. Somebody's done something to you and it's not okay. And they owe me and they've got to make it right. Let it go. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. That's the model God gave us to make his relationship with us right. It's the model that God has given you for you to make your relationship with others right as well. Let it go. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. There's some in here that maybe for whatever reason you have not, you still have an account, an account receivable with God. Maybe you have been one of those that has not said, okay, God, I'll accept your forgiveness with gratitude. For whatever reason, you're, you're holding on, you're, you're, you're going to try to make it right. You're going to try to pay that debt back. You're going to try to live a good life. You're going to try to get things right. You're going to come to church. You're going to try to start doing what you're supposed to do. You're going to try to stop doing this. You're going to try to start being better. You're going to try to start loving your family better. Whatever it is, listen, church. There's nothing outside of the forgiveness of God that is ever going to restore that relationship with God like he has designed it to be. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on, friends? God has told us. He's the only way that this is going to happen. Make it happen. He's made it happen. You accept it. Today, as soon as we get finished praying, I want you to come. I want you to find me. I'll get you with a counselor. And we'll tell you how you can know that your debt has been settled, your debt has been paid. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word that you've given us, the word that you give us that gives life. And I pray that we'll take that life from that word. I pray that we'll apply it to our lives. I pray that you'll help us in this room right now. I pray that you'll help the people that need to hear this word to make, make amends, to give forgiveness where it needs to be forgiven. I pray that you'll help people receive forgiveness from you where it needs to be received. Help us to stop trying to do this on our own, Lord. Help us to depend on you every day for everything. You, we give the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? As Will sings, I'm here if you want to talk to me. If you want to talk to one of our counselors. I'd love to share with you how you can know this forgiveness.